Well, good evening, CIEU. Uh, I'm glad that you guys can make it, and for you, you know, students that are on break right now, we're glad you're here. For you uh, people that are new here, welcome. We're so excited that you could join us. Uh, as John said, I'm Dustin. I'm one of the interns here. Um, and what we've been doing this semester is we've been taking uh, our series through Proverbs called Learn and Live, in which we've been looking at all the different themes and, co and topics covered throughout Proverbs and how we can wisely live in those areas. And so we've looked at money, uh, we've looked at relationships, work, sex, and drinking. Uh, and throughout each theme, the author's main point is that wisdom leads to life while foolishness leads to death. And no matter what the theme is, there's always a path to wisdom and there's always a path to folly. And so tonight we'll be taking a look at pride and humility, uh, and more specifically, we'll be taking a look at an example of pride, an example of humility found within the Bible, uh, and how we should and should not live in light of that. So if you'll go ahead and open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11, uh, that's kind of where we're going to be camping out tonight. Now Proverbs tells us that pride brings disgrace and destruction, um, and we'll get more into that later tonight, but but before we do, I want you to know that I could stand here and list off like a hundred different ways in which I've seen arrogant people fall flat on their face. And I'm sure you guys could too. It's, it's pretty common, right? But I could also stand here and list off a hundred different ways I've seen those same arrogant people seem to slide right past the destruction that seems to be waiting for them. And so in this, we need to remember that the book of Proverbs is a book of wise sayings that are generally true in this life, but absolutely true in the next. What, this, what does this mean? Well, this means that in this life, pride may be rewarded with pain and death. And in this life, humility, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. In this life, humility may be uh, rewarded with pain and death, while pride may be rewarded with wealth and prosperity. It might happen. But what this also means is that when we take our final breath here on earth and we enter into eternity, that this proverb is concrete and absolute in its truth. Pride will surely end in death and despair, and humility will surely end in life and joy. In the book of James, Scripture tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then a few verses later, uh, we, it tells us to humble ourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt us. And so let me ask you guys a question here. By a show of hands, who here wants God to oppose them? No one, right? Like, that's, that's ludicrous. No one wants that. Conversely, who here wants God to exalt them? Yes. Uh, and so, as we continue on in our series, uh, my hope is that, that we see the wisdom in putting to death our pride by pursuing humility. See, the interesting thing about humility is that if we walk upright in it, and if we walk wisely in it, it'll actually spread over to all the other areas in our life. And, and what do I mean by this? The, so, you can ask yourself, how do I humbly manage my finances? It's a good question. And to that, I would say, how do I praise and honor and glorify God in them and through them? Okay, well, how do I humbly walk in my relationships? Again, how do I praise and honor and glorify God in them? 
same with work, same with sex, same with drinking. And so I have to give a quick shout out to my man JR back here, uh, because one could say that because of this, I have the most important theme to cover in our series. But I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't say that because humility. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in all seriousness, though, I do feel vastly unqualified to speak into this uh, because my life has been one of a man that quite often takes pride in myself and the things I've done rather than in the king and what he's done. So like you, that's foolishness. And as with the other themes that we've covered, foolishness leads to death while wisdom leads to life. So tonight I want to dive into my message called A Hope in Humility. Um, and where we'll be going with this is we'll real quick define what pride and humility truly mean. Um, and then we'll dive into how we can wisely live in a God-honoring way within that. So just so we have a quick, simple definition of pride and humility to run off of, um, here's how I would define it. Pride is thinking you can be wise apart from God, while humility is depending on God for wisdom. Pride is thinking you can be wise apart from God, while humility is depending on God for wisdom. And we'll come back to that. And this is because the prideful person has a small view of God, while the humble person has a large view of God. And so hopefully you found Proverbs 11 now, um, and we'll have it on the screen just in case. But diving right away into our text tonight, we'll see that in verse 2, we see that when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And this idea is repeated again in chapter 16, Uh, when it says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So this topic matters to us tonight because pride is not a light issue. Scripture is very clear that God hates the prideful man and loves the humble. Yet so often in our lives, pride goes unnoticed until it fails us and it leaves us flat on our face. So real quick, Um, Just to give you some vision as far as where we're going to go, uh, I'm going to have two points tonight. The first is going to deal with Adam and Eve's pride, while the second is going to deal with Jesus's humility. But before we go there, looking back on our text, Solomon gives us two options here, pride and humility. But he writes this in such a way that urges its audience to run from pride into humility— rather than staying in humility and not running back into pride. It's a one-way street, not two ways. And he does this because, because the assumption is made that we don't have to work to be prideful, rather it comes naturally to us. It's rooted within our hearts, and I don't think any of us are surprised by that. We know we're prideful. And we can see the truth in this by looking all throughout Scripture, even back to the beginning of creation, Uh, Which brings me to my first point, which is don't emulate Adam and Eve's pride. It will lead to folly and death. Now we know from Genesis that God created Adam and Eve in his own image. And we know that they were in perfect community with God before they sinned. And before sin entered the world, there was no fractures within their relationship. And we also know that, that God had a unique love towards this specific creation of his. God had perfectly created the oceans and the stars and the day and the night and all the creatures within the earth. 
and it was good. Yet when he created Adam and Eve, he said this creation was very good. So if, if the rest of creation was perfectly created by God, and humanity was perfectly created by God, why was humanity called very good, and the rest of creation was just good? And what we see in this is, it's simply because God took a great pleasure in this specific creation, uh, because before the world was created, before the universe was formed, God had a plan to redeem and restore the brokenness in our world and in our lives. And this brings him great honor and glory, guys. So there was a unique and great love that God had towards his creation. Yet as we'll see, Adam and Eve took that love and they repaid it with letting pride take root in their hearts. And this brought about what we know as the fall. God commanded Adam and Eve to not eat of one single tree, but he gave them permission to eat of all the other trees within the garden. And what happens after that is we see Satan come in and deceive Eve by blinding her of the feast of trees available before her and focusing her attention on that one tree in which God said, don't eat of. Did God really say that you would die if you ate of this tree? Surely he was lying or the very least exaggerating. I mean, look at it. You have common sense. It looks so good. It's just fruit from a tree. You'll be okay. And what's interesting here is that as we look at the account of this in Genesis, we see that Eve saw the fruit as good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desired to make one wise. You see, Adam and Eve had a choice here. They had walked with God in perfect community up until this point, and they knew firsthand experience that God had their back, and what God had commanded them to do would ultimately result in their greatest pleasure in their, in their greatest joy. So the wise thing to do here would have been to trust God rather than in their own intuition. Yeah, in spite of that, they chose to disobey him and eat the fruit. In their pride and in Satan's deceit, they thought that they knew better than the one that created them and that what they did would be the thing that best fulfilled their pleasure and they would be better off living according to their own rules. And there were immediate repercussions that we see in this, uh, and we see those in chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. This is Adam talking to God. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So we see fear enter the world, not as a righteous reverence for God, but as a legitimate fear because they were aware of the sin that they'd committed and aware of their betrayal. Next, we see that they're aware of their nakedness and they were ashamed of it. So they just try and bury that shame by covering up their nakedness. And then finally, we see that man's first instinct was to run away and hide, hoping that the problem would just disappear rather than running towards God and confessing it. Truly, pride came before destruction. Pride destroyed the relationship that they had with God. Pride destroyed the creation God had made. And pride left a stain of destruction that has remained to this day. Now, these were the earthly repercussions of sin. Uh, but more than that, pride had corrupted them and rewarded them with eternal death and destruction. Why is that? 
Well, put simply, it's, it's because pride was the catalyst that brought about a betrayal of God. Now, there's an illustration of the betrayal of God and the consequences it brings uh, that I first heard in my freshman year of college, uh, and it's, it's stuck with me ever since then. So it goes something like this. If you were to walk up to your friend and punch him in the face, he might be mad. He probably would be mad. Uh, and he might punch you back. But outside of those two things, there's not really much he can do about it. If you were to walk up to your teacher and punch them in the face, you could get a bad grade. Uh, you might get some sort of detention or suspension, but it's not going to be the end of the world if you do that. But if you were to walk up to the President of the United States and punch him in the face, you can bet that there will be a bunch of security detail tackling you and then proceeding to throw you in prison. We can clearly see that with the more authority someone has, the more severe the consequences are for betraying them, or in this case, punching them in the face. So now, imagine walking up to God, the God of the universe, the God that created everything, created you, and punching him in the face. Just winding up and socking it to him. So to all you, we need to realize that that's the predicament we're in. Adam and Eve sinned, and we suffer the consequences today, yes, but out of pride, we also punch God in the face when we choose to disobey him and rely on ourselves. Betraying God isn't something that just Adam and Eve did, but we too do ourselves and regularly. For example, just this past week when I was prepping this message, I could point to at least a couple occasions uh, where part of the motivation behind me writing this was the, was the feedback and praise that I might get from preaching it. It's kind of ironic. Preaching over pride and humility, and while writing it, I was tempted to be prideful. But it's true, right? Like, pride isn't something that we have to work towards. It naturally is rooted within our hearts. So, pride can come in many different forms, uh, but the two most common are also the two extremes. We can see that we're, we are prideful when we think we are more than we are and better than we are. But as we'll see, we're also prideful when we think we are less than we are. And so on the flip side, maybe you're sitting here thinking that the solution to all this is to simply deflect any praise and affirmation you receive onto others and just not accept that. Or maybe you're sitting here uh, wanting to downplay your worth and value because in others' eyes, it will make you seem humble. I know I have. I've, I've been there. And so I was actually on a mission trip two years ago to San Diego, um, and the first five weeks I was there, there were 63 of us college students and about 20 or so staff. In the second five weeks, there was just us 63 college students. I had no idea that staff was going to leave. But in that in order to make sure that there was utter chaos by leaving a bunch of college kids in San Diego for half the summer alone, before the staff left, they, they needed to assemble some sort of student leadership team uh, to take over their jobs when they left. And so in that, I was asked to be the director of the mission. Furthermore, on top of that, I heard from the grapevine that it was a unanimous vote of staff. I didn't have a single no vote from staff. 
And so I was, I was filled with a sense of pride and honor uh, and distinction because I met these college students four weeks prior to this, and I was already being charged with leading them for the next five weeks in the mission. And as quickly as that pride came, it disappeared. But what replaced it was just as dangerous. What I did instead was I pushed the affirmation I was receiving off, and I said things like, I'm not fit to lead, and here's why. Or, here's a better person to lead, and here's why. In essence, I was minimizing or downplaying my ability to lead and magnifying my sinful nature, all because I wanted to be seen as humble. See, the dangerous thing in this is that it was a false humility. My sin was the focal point, not Jesus. If we're going to not fall into the same trap that Adam and Eve did, we must first learn to recognize the own pride, recognize the pride within our own lives. So how many of you have ever gone to bed hurt um, from something someone said that just rubbed you the wrong way? Also, how many of you uh, had just felt crushed when the guy that you liked asked a girl, a different girl, on a date? Often a good foretell of pride in our lives is when our egos are hurt, because when our egos are hurt, it's evidence that we've put our identity in something that has left us, that has popped and then left us feeling alone, lost, and worthless. We continually try and inflate our ego with our own accomplishments and our own achievements until eventually and inevitably it pops and feels and leaves us feeling defeated. So then what do we do? We recognize that we don't have it all together um, and we, we wait for others to come by and repump that ego into us. And the cycle continues. You see, both pride and humility are rooted in the same sin. Both are rooted in pride because both are rooted in self. One openly seeks the approval of others, while one secretly seeks it by putting on a front of humility. One says, look how great I am, while the other says, look how sinful I am. In both the overinflated ego and in the underinflated ego, pride is evident. So ultimately, whether we show our proud nature or we try and cover it with a layer of shame and unworthiness, we are still living in pride if we are the focus. C.S. Lewis put it nicely when he wrote, uh, humility is not thinking less of oneself, but thinking of oneself less. So if this is the situation we're in, and if humility, we can't experience it through thinking we're more than we are or less than we are, we're in a bad spot, right? In order to live in true humility, we not, need not to think less of ourselves, but simply less about ourselves. And if you remember the definition we put forth earlier of pride and humility, uh, pride is thinking that you can be wise apart, apart from God, while humility is depending on God for wisdom. And so my second point is, do emulate Jesus' humility. It will lead to wisdom in life. If you want to read along, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. 
This is Paul speaking here to the church of Philippi in the midst of his imprisonment. And the church members here were experiencing all sorts of jealousy over honor and rewards uh, and glory. And so Paul writes to them, pointing this out, and then points them to the, the person and work of Jesus Christ and the humility that he displayed on the cross. All right, so starting in verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And then continuing on, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being, ba- being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So notice how in verse 3 it says, count others more significant than yourselves, not as significant. We see that there needs to be a spirit of serving others over self in humility. Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. His bride, a sinful and broken humanity, was so precious to him that he came to earth as a servant in order to save us. All the while taking insults and mockery and beating and ultimately death from the very ones that he came to save. So there needs to be a spirit of serving in humility. Now, if you remember back earlier in our series, uh, the author of Proverbs points out that multiple times that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we often view the fear of the Lord as us fearing that God might smite us, right? I'm a visual person, and so I like to visualize things. things. So I sometimes go overboard, and I think of lightning coming down and striking me, or a giant asteroid coming and hitting us, or something to that extent. Uh, But the point remains the same regardless. We fear that God is sitting on his throne, waiting for us to mess up so he can catch us in the act and punish us. But sitting like you, what we need to understand about this passage is that Jesus could have stayed away from our mess and rightly punished us in that sin. He could have done that. But instead, he chose to enter into that mess by counting others more significant than himself so that he could save us from that punishment. Jesus had truly left the highest of high places and gone to the lowest of low places in order to serve us. He came not to be served as he rightly deserved, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. This is true humility, guys. This is right here. 
And we see that God then exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. God exalted him because of his humility. And though his humility far exceeds anyone else, we too can be exalted in him and through him. Pridefulness is rewarded with death, destruction, and a fall, while humility is rewarded with wisdom, life, and exaltation. And though this is not always true, this is ultimately true. When we live in a true humility, founded on putting others before ourselves, we see the gospel in a deeper light. And so just to get real practical, I thought that we could just hear a a few ways in which we can emulate Jesus' humility by serving others. Here at City Light, uh, we often say that you can serve with your time, talent, and treasure. The three T's. And so what this can realistically look like is serving with your time by helping with City Light Middle or City Light High. That's a real need, and you can help fulfill that and serve the church in that way. You can also serve outside the church by cleaning your roommate's dishes when they have to bolt out or just leave it behind. Seriously, guys, this takes, this takes two minutes. I feel like it's a common problem with college students. And in that, you can show the love of Christ to them. Another way you can serve is with your talent. Uh, maybe God has gifted you in college uh, by giving you a wisdom in a specific subject. You can serve in that talent by maybe helping someone else who's maybe not gifted in that. Additionally, you can serve with your treasure. As you may know, Nebraska just experienced a devastating flooding, and many families lost everything. Your time, your talent, and your treasure could be used on you, but in true humility, we can choose to forego our interests for the sake of others. And Jesus displayed this perfectly. Earlier, we talked about how pride can show itself in two ways. Uh, We can see pride through an inflated view of self, and we can also see pride masked as a false humility that exalts our weakness over God. In City Light U, the gospel speaks to both. To the person who has an inflated view of self, the gospel says that, that you are so bad, you are so sinful, you are so separated from God that his own son had to come to earth in order to save you from your sin. And that truth totally crushes our inflated view of ourselves. And to the person who's, whose pride is masked in false humility and an exaltation of your weakness, the gospel says that while you were a sinner, Christ came to die for you. He came to you on a rescue mission so that you would no longer be defined by your sin and your failure, uh, but instead you could be defined by the fact that you have received Jesus' righteousness. So the gospel speaks to our pride and then frees us from that pride. Our hope and humility is not one in ourselves, but our hope and humility is one in Jesus. So for the unbeliever in the room, if you, if you came here tonight uh, without a relationship with Jesus, um, can I just tell you that you don't have to experience the crushing weight of pain when you have centered your entire life around something and it inevitably has come crashing down. 
There's something far greater that will never fail you. There's something far greater that will never turn his back on you. And there's something far greater that will produce a joy within you so unquenchable that nothing else will ever compare. His name is Jesus Christ, and he came from heaven to earth, taking on the form of man, living a perfect and spotless life, suffered at the hands of the very ones he came to save, all so that you wouldn't have to deserve your punishment. Your sin, now and forevermore, was a punishment that Jesus paid for, so he didn't just die for the world, he died for you. And this was a truth that it radically rocked my world when I first understood it. Jesus no longer was just a, a distant good guy, but he became a personal savior that, that loved me so much that he died for me. And for the believer in the room, you, you already know the gospel and you have put your faith and your trust within Jesus, but the gospel isn't simply the entry gates within Christianity. We need to continually hear the gospel and believe it, because only the gospel can produce a true humility. And the extent we believe the gospel is directly correlated to the joy we see within it. So take hope that we will never outgrow the gospel. Take hope in the fact that there is so much more joy for you to be had that you have yet to experience. And take hope in the fact that, that Jesus didn't just die so you could be saved— but he died so that you could experience life with him and for him. And so in closing tonight, as I invite the band back up and we go into worshiping our king, I feel led to not only apply this message and these truths to everyday life, uh, but to also apply it in worship. And here's what I mean by this. I was fairly conservative uh, growing up in my worship, and when I looked around, I didn't really ever see any emotion attached to it. It was simply a congregation singing songs to a God. And so when I first saw people throwing their hands up, I'm going to be honest, I thought it was weird, right? It was weird, but I tried it. And so I tried it, and I was immediately filled with this overwhelming sense that people were watching me, and I was simply overdoing it. And so I stopped it altogether. You see, in the Old Testament, we would see uh, quite often people when they were in the presence of their king, they would get on their knees and they would bow down. And what this did was, was a powerful gesture that said, you are my king, I am your citizen, and you are worthy of all my praise. So tell you, while we may not be getting on our knees during worship, and it, while it may look different from person to person, the reality is that the heart posture within both of those are the same. What we're doing when we're raising our hands is we're saying, Jesus, you are my king. God, I am your child, and you are worthy of any and all my praise. It's a posture of joyful submission in which we're taking the glory that we desire, and we're putting that on God because he is worthy. And so tonight, I just want to encourage you that if that's what you're feeling— if you've experienced the riches of God's grace and mercy, and your heart yearns to worship God in response to that, would you deny your pride and externally show what you internally feel? Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you so much that 
that you sent your son down to earth to save us from our sin and to, uh, to serve us in when we needed it the most. God, we can clearly see that humanity is broken and pride is rooted deep within us. We can clearly see that you desire humility. So God, as we worship this next song, um, there's, there's a line in where we'll sing, Oh God, be my everything. Uh, to God be my everything, be my delight. Be Jesus my glory, my soul satisfied. And so, oh God, would we would be fully satisfied and ultimately satisfied in you rather than in ourselves. God, would we, would we serve others as a, a result of us hearing the gospel and believing in it and out of a desire to worship and glorify you? Would we deny our pride and take up humility and serve others as a, as a desire to worship you? God, we love you, and there is nothing we could ever do to repay what you have done for us. And so we thank you so much for your son and the work that he has done for us. We love you, and we thank you. In your son's name, amen.